Caleb for tottering up here today. Caleb is a wrestler and he's, he's not sure what, but he sustained a knee injury, possibly from wrestling, possibly from maybe even something else. So it's, but he, he agreed to come this morning. I'm grateful he did. So, well, we're going to be looking at Exodus chapter 2 this morning. We're going on a series through the book of Exodus. We're calling the whole series Moving. It's how when we're moving, when we're packing, when we're going somewhere, we bring things along with us, don't we? But many times we don't bring everything. Sometimes we discover in the process of moving, there's some things we want to leave behind. We don't want to bring everything with. I'd like to tell you a story to maybe help you get the theme a little bit better. I, I one time took a trip. I've got some good friends that live in Scotland. And they invited me to go see them. So my wife and I, we decided we'd go to Scotland and visit my friend Bill. And have you ever had this happen where your best and your, your strongest attributes, your best attributes might have worked against you at some point in time? All right, so... One of my things is I don't like to spend any more money than I have to. And I also wanted to give a nice gift to my, my friend Bill in Scotland. So it all came together on this trip. I bought four bottles of root beer, some really good point root beer, because I thought it'd be good for Bill likes root beer, and in Scotland you can't buy root beer. It doesn't exist in Scotland. So this would be my gift for, for Bill. So I packed it all in the bag and everything, you know, airplane flew over. And the way our trip worked out, we, we flew to actually Dublin in Ireland and then we got a really, one of these really cheap flights. They sell these really, it's like Southwest Airlines, but it wasn't Southwest, it was the European version of it. And it was like 50 bucks to fly from Dublin to, to Glasgow. It was just a great, great deal. I didn't read all the all the things really well, though. There's these conditions of carriage for airlines. Have you ever heard about this? Okay, so if you ever fly in an airplane, they have these conditions of carriage, and they, these the rules. And the rules for this particular discount airline is you couldn't bring anything on the airplane. You could put some things underneath, or was it? No, you couldn't put, you couldn't put anything underneath the plane. You could only have carry-ons. You could only have carry-ons. You couldn't have underneath. Well, this was a problem. Because I had this root beer long, as well as all the other things that we brought for this trip. It was going to cost us $150 to get that bag from Dublin to Glasgow. $150. So at that point, I had to make a choice. I could leave the root beer behind, as well as all my wife's stuff that she brought with for the trip. Or pay the, pay the fee. And I remember looking at it, and we stuffed as much as we could into our carry-ons. We like crammed them in there. Like zippers were bursting. But what it came down to was is you can't put that big of liquid on the plane, right? You have all the rules, you know, about how much... So what it came down to is I either had to leave the root beer behind or pay the $150. Oh, If you're like me and you don't want to spend any more money than you have to, it just kills you. 
So what should I leave behind? What should I bring with? The most expensive root beer I've ever purchased came with me to Scotland. I, I spent about $4, I think, I would imagine, on a four-pack of root beer. Maybe it was 5 And I spent $150 to get it from Dublin to Glasgow. So that's my story about the most expensive root beer I ever bought. Some of you are shaking your heads and you're going, why in the world would anybody do that? You're crazy. And that's true. I am. I am crazy. But um, when you only visit a friend every, every 10 years or so, I guess maybe it makes a little more sense. But the, the, the essence of the story and the essence of Exodus chapter 2 this morning is all about this process of moving. What needs to be left behind? The character that's being built into us, where we might be headed, where we might be going. And God is seeking through our lives, through the character that we're formed with, to conform us to make us into the image of his son. And throughout history, he's been working through people, people like you and I, to complete his good purpose. And he takes our best good attributes, and sometimes our best good attributes that aren't coming out sideways, and he develops into us. Small picture, like in our lives, in our day-to-day, but also in the big picture about where he's moving, maybe the church or a whole country, a whole nation of people. He might use very, what we would probably consider minor and insignificant characters or people and doing incredible things just because that's how God works. And Exodus chapter 2 is all that. And our, our lead character in this story is Moses. But the to get into this even a little bit more, we struggle with maybe the picture that we have in this life, this whole moving thing. We, we, we struggle with the idea of leaving things behind, about bringing things with the conflict, the tension that we bring with us in life because we have been conditioned by the world around us that it shouldn't be this hard. We don't think that the difficulties and challenges we're facing in this life should be this hard. So we have this idea that things should be happily ever after. Hollywood sells conflict and issues in neat little packages that come full circle and finish very nicely. Marriage in Hollywood or on the TV, whatever, marriage, children, family, and work all may have their issues. But in the end, it all works out together. And in 30 minutes, a satisfactory solution is found. It's great. Perhaps you've, you've got a social media account. You have your um, Snapchat, your Instagram, your, social, your, like your Facebook or something. And if you look on there, t- typically, what do people put on their, their pages? The best things that are happening, right? Sometimes there's negative things. But a lot of times, it's the best thing. So... Our world, we are conditioned to always think this is just the best things that are happening. Everybody has all these best good things happening. And then we look in our own lives and it doesn't come together like that. Instead of happily ever after, we sometimes feel like it's conflict ever after. And children come into our lives and 
We have sinners ever after. And then we do some things and we have regret ever after. And we, we wish that things would change, things would be different, but the process to get to where we might be is so difficult. My son recently did a project on disabilities, and, and this teacher gave 30 different disabilities that they could choose from. And what struck me on the list of that were given was these were all real issues that people I know, people I love are dealing with. Some of the issues that were listed were autism and diabetes, anxiety, eating disorders, chronic pain. Those kinds of things are not just out there some place far, far away. Those are people I know. Those are real situations that people I know of. And that's in our living room. So we have this dissonance. We have in this, this idea that in our world there should be resolution, things should come together. We have in the picture in our mind that our lives should somehow work together and come full circle from where it is. But we have this feeling in our hearts and minds, we have this sense inside of us, this is not working out. And these things are in conflict with each other. And maybe we think a pill, maybe a new place, or maybe a pizza, something will just fix those things and make it all come together. But it, it, doesn't always, it doesn't always work that way. So that's where this message within this series takes us. God is not trying to make this world that we're in perfectly right. Putting it in a neat little 30-minute package with some advertising sprinkled in throughout to help us know life is just great. He's bringing us to a point where we realize some things are going to have to be left behind. Some things we really like. And maybe, maybe he needs to build into us some things that we don't have yet. Moses, the central figure of Exodus, is the, he's the focus of, of today's message. There will be other characters that will come and play. And they're, and they're important. But if you look at Moses, you might, like me, realize his story is a little bit like mine. And he goes through a desert development to have God work, move in us, work us through difficulty so that he can get us to where he intends for us to be. So I encourage you to look into Exodus chapter 2. As we're looking at Exodus chapter 2, maybe it's about Moses, but we might find some things for ourselves. And just like Moses, we might need to add some things, but we might need to drop some things. There's some um, blanks in your program this morning. If you, if you care to, you might fill those out. One thing, I, um, I made some changes. I, um, I was gone for a, a few days this week, and so I made some changes to, the, to my message outline, so it might look just a little different than what you have there, but I think we'll get there. So the first, first blank there is, saving comes from an unexpected place. I believe that's the first one. Yes, savings, saving can come from an unexpected place. Let's read in Exodus chapter 2 here. And I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. Now a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was a fine child, 
she hid him three months. When she could hide him no longer, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes and daubed it with bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the river bank. And his sister stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came to bathe at the river while her young women walked beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman, and she took it. When she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister said to the Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call you a nurse from the, Pharaoh, from the Hebrews' women to nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. So the girl went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I'll give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. When the child grew up, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses because, she said, I drew him out of the water. In the previous chapter, chapter 1 of Exodus, we find that Pharaoh is nervous, he's upset, he's worried about the Hebrew people growing powerful. So he's, he tells the midwives, the, the people helping the babies to be born, you have to kill all the sons, I don't want this population to get out of control. Of course, the midwives, they ignored that order and helped the, the, the children of Israel come, come to life. But What's remarkable in chapter 2 is that a little baby is born and who could write, you can't make this stuff up. Who would be the one that would save Moses? Who, which character would be the one that would save the very person that would deliver the people of Israel? Who would be the one that would save this little child? Pharaoh's daughter. That's remarkable. I, I like how there's correlations. Pastor Kim last week gave us, you know, reminded us or showed us that Exodus is sort of like chapter 2 in, in the Hebrew Bible. Genesis would be chapter 1, Exodus would be chapter 2. It's a continuation of it. You can see maybe some parallels here. Did you hear when we read about that little basket? It was covered with pitch. It reminded me when I read that of Noah and his ark. Do you remember, remember that story? He made the, he made the ark to float them through and have deliverance. And I, I, as I recall, they covered that one with pitch as well. So there's this connection to the old things from Genesis. Moses was born into trouble, and we're told that Pharaoh's own daughter draws him out. There's this idea of drawing out of Egypt and the daughter of Pharaoh draw him out, drew him out. The word Moses is not a Hebrew word. It's an Egyptian word. It, most scholars believe that it probably meant child. Like in, in Egyptian, like the language of, of Pharaoh, it would have meant child. But probably it was a shortened version of child of a certain god, like the god of Ra or the god of the Nile, whatever their gods were. And so that's what it meant to her. This meant child, but child of this certain God. But in Hebrew, that same word sounds like to draw out, to pull from, to take out of a situation. So the Egyptians may have seen this man Moses. 
and heard his name, Moses, and thought of their gods and their ways. But any Hebrew hearing that name Moses would have heard how our God in heaven draws out. So at this time in Egypt, there's trouble. There's a strong and ruthless Pharaoh seeking to break the very people of God. But God is taking his very first steps of deliverance and using people from Pharaoh's own house to deliver. Pharaoh's daughter had a character trait that some might say is weakness. She had compassion. She was in the river. She was in the river that certain day. and She happened to see this basket. She saw the crying baby and her heart went out to it. Pharaoh's daughter saved the baby that would end up freeing all the people. I, I see irony in this story. Here the strong Pharaoh with all the armies that he had at his disposal. Men with swords and spears and so much strength and he could do anything. He could kill anyone he wanted. Yet he couldn't stop the very deliverer of Israel from coming into his own house. How many times does this happen? How God uses the, the weak, the unexpected, the overlooked to fulfill his plan. As you read through Exodus, as we read through the Bible, and maybe as we think about our own life, has it ever happened that unexpected, unprepared for, things that we thought were just unlikely to happen, those were the very things that God used for his good purpose? When we are moving, we were moving from where we've been to where God is calling us to be. I hope we never forget that the unexpected, the weak, the forgotten things are what God uses. It emphasizes that who does the saving in any situation that we are in? Are we so bold and so conceited in our lives to think that we are the ones that are going to save ourselves? Or we think of our children. Do we honestly think that we're going to save our children? Are we, are we that? Uh, think about our country. Is, you know, just last week, Pastor Kim was talking about all the issues and things going on in our country. Do we think that we are going to save our country? Certainly there's things we should do. Certainly there are things we can do. But if any significant change is going to happen in anyone we care about, in the community we care about, it's going to be because God will be the one that will save. Only God could have thought of using Pharaoh's daughter to save his people. As we go through this series, we're going to see again and again, it is God who saves. He delights in saving. He's the one that desires to save us. He's the one that's looking inside our hearts and he longs to save all of his people. He longs to bring us to where he needs to be. Maybe the first step in all of our development, this, the sermon's title to his desert development, maybe the first step in that development that we might have is to lay aside our, our arrogance our amazing intelligence, our strength. The only one 
who can save. And save in a way that's worth saving is the Lord. And many times he'll go out of his way to use an unlikely source for deliverance just to point us back to who he is. So Moses arrives on the scene. He's saved by a little Noah's Ark-style basket in a river by Pharaoh's own daughter whose weakness, this compassion she might have, saves this deliverer from what would have been destruction and midwives who disobey orders of the Pharaoh. All these things are just coming together and it's, it's really, it's a, it's a remarkable story. But as we get to know Moses, we begin to understand that this man didn't arrive ready to lead. Some development would be required for Moses. First of all, there would be some internal growth that would be needed. If you would read along with, with me, I'll continue in Exodus chapter 2. Verse 11. One day, when Moses had grown up, now we, we'll find out later there was probably about 40 years. 40 years later, he's grown up. He's gotten his education. He grew to understand how the ways of the Egyptians work. And maybe he even remembered and knew his Hebrew heritage. We're told that he was a Levite from the, the group of people within Israel that were in charge of worship. All these things are going on in the background. 40 years. One day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on the, their burdens and saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He looked this way and that. Seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. When he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together. And he said to the man in the wrong, Why do you strike your companion? He answered, Who made you a prince and judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, Surely this thing is known. When Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian. And he sat down by a well. A well. Moses is raised in a privileged home. I believe it led him to become perhaps an entitled person. Have you ever met that person? The person that thinks everything should sort of go their way? Have you ever seen this? You, you go to the store and the line that's for everybody that's in doesn't apply to them. They just kind of go to the front of it. Maybe you've um, been driving in your car and the, the queue, the, the line that everybody's in behind, they just kind of zip around it and they sneak in at the last minute. Maybe you've met that child. You go to the store and you see the, the wailing child that wants their way. We've all seen it, haven't we? I would imagine if you grew up in Pharaoh's household, king of the land, would it be hard not to become an entitled person, kind of? I think, it, I think it probably happened to him. He gave orders and they happened. Perhaps, perhaps this would happen. You grow up in that kind of environment and your patience might grow thin because you're used to, I say an order and people do things. Now some of us didn't grow up in that maybe way, but many people, maybe they do. And they expect things to go their way. 
He had a, a way of dealing with things. How did Moses deal with it? When he saw something wrong, I'm going to deal with it myself, Moses might have said. There's no need for others. He was what he needed. Can you see how Moses may have had, because of his background, he cared for his people and he cared for what happened to them, but God, we can see on the outside looking in, oh, he's, he's got to grow up. Forty years is not enough time for Moses. Oh, yes, Moses, he needs to get better. He needs to move along in his faith. And, and I, think it, I think we can see that in, in our world around us, can't we? I'm a coach. It's my job sometimes to look at what people are doing on a soccer field and say, oh, you could do this better. But in some ways, I think we all are kind of like coaches. We're all kind of like that person. We can see so easily what somebody else isn't doing, could be doing, if they would just, if all these things, if, if we could take a step back from that, let's just st- take a step back from that for just a moment. As we consider who our God is in heaven, what do you suppose he does sometimes? What do you suppose God is doing when he looks down on his, on his children that he loves so much? Can you imagine him? I, I can sort of, I, the picture of my mind sometimes is he looks down on, on Joe Carlson here on earth and he, and he might go, oh, that Joe. He's trying so hard. Oh, he doesn't get it though, does he? Man, if he would just, <laughs> that, and every once in a while he'll open my eyes to what is going on. But a lot of times, you know what my God does? He lets me wander into things of my own doing to, you know, show up at airports with $4 root beer and let me learn what it might take to, to plan ahead. And I think he does that for all of us, doesn't he? He kind of lets us wander a little bit. Let's just try some things. Let's just see where we might go. One of the greatest challenges that I believe we might face here in America today, we're, we're a wealthy country. We're well off. We, we probably don't consider ourselves that individual. Like if we look at ourselves, we say, no, I don't have much. Those other people over there, I can, I've driven by their homes and I've seen their cars go by. Those are the wealthy people. Those are the privileged people. But I think in many ways, we are those privileged people. We've been given in this church, Bethany Church, we've been given this word of God. We're ahead of so much in this world. We have the resources, we have the money, we have the, the tools, we have the internet, we have everything at our disposal. And I wonder if God looks down on us and says, oh, you've been given so much. What could, you, what could we do more? Can we just say this? Entitled people are not necessarily the people at the top of God's list. To bring about change in his world? Think about the people God has used to bring about change in this world. Were they the privileged? The well-educated? Sometimes, don't get me wrong. Can God use anyone? Absolutely. Can God use wealthy people to change his world? Absolutely he can. Where was our Savior born though? How was God, how did God, God does not need the resources and privilege of this world to accomplish his plan. As we look at Moses, we see this has got to be the guy that can deliver Israel. He's educated, he would understand the Egyptian system. He's educated, he's got wealth, he's got resources, he's got power, he's got connections. He's got everything needed 
to change the world of Egypt. That's not what happened. Something had to change. God is making Moses into the deliverer he needed him to be. He had everything. But everything in our mind is not necessarily what God wants. I think sometimes we would look at a situation like we're in, and, and I think we think this way, maybe people think this way, that we can help God out because of our privilege, because of our background, we can help God out. But can I just say, God does not need our help. God can accomplish everything that is required. Instead, maybe instead of how we might help God, is how can we be humbled? How can God work into us? How can God change us into what we needed to be? In order for Moses to become the leader that he was called to be, God needed to get Moses out of Egypt, but probably just as significantly, he needed to get the Egypt out of Moses. That culture that he grew up in, no, that's not necessarily the best one to to be in. That life that he had, if he was going to lead the people of Israel, God was not trying to craft like within the Egyptian culture, this little subset Israeli culture, this Hebrew culture. No, he wanted a completely different kind of people coming out of there. If Moses would have delivered the people at that time, perhaps he would have had just a slightly different Egyptian style. And that's not what, that's not what God wanted. Praise God that he doesn't allow us to complete things in the plan and in the way that we would like. I'm just imagining if Moses' idea of, he would have like bit by bit rescued this little Hebrew situation here and dusted up this little situation here. And I don't think he ever, if it, if it would have been up to Moses, I don't know if he ever would have left Egypt with his people. But because God had a different plan, because God had a different way, God blessed him with a 40-year hiatus in the desert. Does that sound like a blessing to you? To go from the palace of the Pharaoh, where everybody takes care of your every need, where people say how high when you tell them to jump? Is that is it an upgrade to go to the desert where you have to draw your own water? Where the tent flaps don't always stay down when the wind blows through? I don't know about you, that doesn't feel like progress to me. But there's this desert development. So Moses fled from Pharaoh, stayed in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came and drew water and filled troughs to water their father's flock. The shepherds came and drove them away, but Moses stood up and saved them. And watered their flock. When they came on to their father, Reuel, he said, How is it that you have come home so soon today? They said, An Egyptian delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds, and even drew water for us, and watered the flock. He said to his daughters, Then where is he? Why have you left the man? Call him that he may eat bread. And Moses was content to dwell with the man, and he gave Moses his daughter Zipporah. She gave birth to a son, and he called his name Gershom. For he said, I have been a sojourner. 
in a fallen land. Fast forward to the desert. Moses is in the desert. He ends up at a little well. And these Midianites are there. This desert people. And these women are there. And they're, they're being harassed by some shepherds. I'm not sure how bad it was, but apparently it wasn't good. And Moses saved them from the shepherds, and he even watered their flock. That was unheard of at that time. Moses' character was one seeking to deliver. Even, you remember, he tried to save his Hebrews, but now he's still, his character still was saving those people, but maybe that entitled shell that Moses lived in, maybe it was starting to change. God was calling Moses, and he put him in the exact right home for it to happen. He used circumstances to fit Moses for what lied ahead. I, I believe as you look at this little passage, this little section here, you can see four gifts that God gave Moses. You might want to write these down because I think these are significant gifts that God gave Moses in this time. First of all, God gave Moses a mentor in this desert development. He he gave Moses a, a person that could show him how to live. This man was Reuel. I'm probably saying it wrong. I'm not Midianite. But Reuel would from this point forward be known as Jethro. Jethro would show up again in Exodus when he, when he showed up with Moses later on when they got them out of Egypt. And he would be the one that said, Moses, you're leading the people, but you could do it better. He showed him how to live. He was an example of... The, the leader that God, God used this Jethro, this Reuel, to show Moses the kind of leader he really wanted him to be. Think about it. Who was Moses' maybe leader he'd been looking up to until that time? Probably Pharaoh, right? God wanted to give him a better leader, a better mentor. He showed him maybe how to be a father. Did you see? What did... What did Reuel tell his daughters? You, you, left, you left the man that just saved you out by the well? Bring that guy in here. He showed him what worship is. We're told that he was a priest. That, just a little background. The Midianites, that would be sons of Abraham. Hagar and Ishmael, do you remember that story from way back then? They had, their descendants were called Midianites. They may have worshipped the true God. Maybe, maybe God was showing him what true worship was. He was maybe learning and understanding better what it was like to worship. Up until then, maybe worship for Moses happened in an Egyptian temple. But does God want the trappings of a, an elaborate temple? Does God need extravagant things? No, he needed, Moses needed a different kind of mentor to show him how to live. A question I would ask for us right now is, who are, who are our mentors? Who are the people that we look up to? Do they reflect on who God would want us to be? God also gave him a family. What happens when you have family? I, I can just tell you this. Before I had a wife, before I had kids, I think, I, I realize now I was a very selfish person. I looked out for my own needs first, and I was looking out for those kinds of things. When I was blessed with a family, I started realizing you have to think ahead for those that can't take care of themselves. 
for those that maybe have more needs and look beyond ourselves. God gave Moses a vocation. Up until then, Moses may have been thinking, well, I'll be a leader, and that comes with privilege. And, and instead, God gave him a vocation as a shepherd, wandering through the desert. He could have found where the wells were. He could have found where the paths were. He gave him time. All these things. We're told that it took 40 years for him to get from Egypt to the desert. And then he spent 40 years in the desert. It was 40 years that he spent learning these ways. Has your time frame and God's time frame ever been a little bit off? Have you ever said to yourself, you know, God, I know where you're going with this, and you could really fast forward here. And God's sense of timing is maybe a little different. Do you think it would... Can you imagine if Moses would have known how all this was going to go? God, I think if you would have just told me we could have clipped, I don't know, 20 years off of this deal. But that's not what he did. He gave him 40 years. If you're looking at your life right now and thinking the timing is just a little bit off, maybe, maybe it isn't. So God gave Moses some gifts. What are the gifts that God has given us? What are the things that God has given us to think about right now. Maybe we don't look at them as gifts right now, but I believe that maybe that's what they are. Before I wrap up this sermon today, I'd like to read you the last few verses of Exodus chapter 2. And I think it's incredible how it finishes. If you have a Bible, I would urge you to look at this with me as we wrap up Exodus chapter 2. It's just, just a couple of verses, two verses, actually three, three verses. And they might seem at first to not go with, but I think they're right in line with where this passage and where this series and where we might be going. During those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. If you read the first 22 verses of Exodus chapter 2, you'll notice something's missing. God isn't mentioned. He's not mentioned once. He's, you, you read through the first part of Exodus chapter 2, it's like, where's God in all this? If, okay, let's, let's go back. Let's say you're Moses' mother. If you're Moses' mom, what would you have been thinking? Well, the first 40 years were actually pretty good. My son ended up in Pharaoh's home, great education. But then I lost him. He's under charges of murder. And I don't even know where he is anymore. He was gone. Think about Moses in this whole time. He would have said, man, I had everything and I blew it. I was with the, I was the Pharaoh. I, was the, I had everything. I had everything. And then I screwed up and his regret he may have held deep in his heart. The people of Israel were just hurting. All these things were going wrong. But we're told at the very end what happened. The people cried out to God. They prayed. 
But the prayer wasn't like a, dear Lord, you know, come Lord Jesus, be our guest, let these gifts to us to be blessed. No, it was, a, it was a groaning. It was that all night prayer. It's that, and maybe this has happened to you, where you wake up in the middle of the night, maybe you can't sleep because it so weighs on you something that's going on. That hurt that you have in your heart. Maybe the hurt you have for another person. And the significant portion in this right here, what did God do? God heard their prayers. He remembered them. He remembered the covenant that he had. And in the end, wouldn't it be nice? Oh, it's because he wants to take them to the promised land. Do you know what happens at the end of Exodus? They're not, can I, I'll give you, I'm going to steal a little bit from the end of the story. You probably know it. They don't end up in the promised land, at least at the end of Exodus. You know what they get at the end of Exodus? A tabernacle. A way to worship God. What God desires more than our circumstances dramatically changing for the best, what he desires most is for our hearts to be right with him, for a relationship with him to be on track with where it needs to be. Now, perhaps a prayer for our circumstances, for our difficult situations, that would be appropriate. And in fact, today would be a very appropriate day to pray for the Wellams family, to pray for the Folly family. Can I just tell you, last Sunday at this time, I was praying desperately for a baby. I was praying for Nathan Eric Folly that he would live. That's what my prayer was. I could tell you, that is the only thing I could think about on Sunday. And you know what happened at 4.15 on Monday? He died. He died. He, he is dead. Nathan is gone. I don't care which way you cut it, that is sad. And I'm sure everyone in this room could think of a time where they prayed that prayer and it didn't shake out the way that it should have. Maybe we're like those people of Israel at the end of Exodus chapter 2 going, God, what is going on? And he hears are and I can tell you there is a prayer that our God will always answer and that is if if we pray he will always answer the prayer of getting us into right relationship with him if you read the story of Moses yes he led the people of Israel but he also he transformed Moses into the man that he needed to be Does God want to bring your family out? Yes, he does. He wants your family to be delivered from wherever it is. But most of all, he wants a right relationship with us and our our family. So please continue to pray for the problems, the situation. But the biggest prayer, the, the most important prayer we might have is, Dear Lord, use this to draw your people into that right relationship with him. Exodus is moving, and it's going to be moving. Maybe we're going to do a grand project, and maybe we're going to do this grand thing, but most of all, I know what we need to do is we need to move all of ourselves into a closer, more vibrant, right relationship with Him. Would you pray with me? Dear Lord, we thank you this morning for Moses and his story. We thank you for Exodus. We thank you for that 
picture of deliverance that you give us, how you want to deliver your people. And Lord, our picture of deliverance, I would imagine so many times is different than yours. But Lord, I thank you that you, you don't use our picture. Use the one that you're ready for. And Lord, you're giving us gifts, maybe not the gifts we wanted, but you give us gifts and you're developing us into who we need to be. Lord, I thank you for that this morning. I put these people, I put this time in your hands. I pray that you'd um, grant and bless the week ahead for us. I pray especially for the folly and uh, that there'll be, I pray for that funeral on Thursday, Lord. I pray that people would be encouraged somehow by what goes on there. I pray for the Wilms family, the things that will go on in their lives. Draw them close to yourself. In Jesus' name, amen.